Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The guest of the bridegroom cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. I had never seen that before. It's an illustration. There's part of the the groom's wedding party is the disciples. They were handpicked. You go through and you, uh, just like Brother David's, you know, as he's been going through, each one of them, he goes over how they were all handpicked by Jesus while he was here. And like I said, the overall scenario of the New Testament is this massive wedding, you know, a wedding to take place, a wedding feast to take place. And so we've got, now we know the groom, and we know that all the disciples are in that wedding party. Uh, We'll flip over to John chapter 4. John, uh, take it back, John chapter 3. Now this I covered once when we were talking about the the baptism. When back when I David let me do that little series on the baptism and what baptism meant. Now this is uh, this will tell you who the best man is. Now this is uh, in the Tree of Life version actually. The Tree of Life version actually spells it out. As the best man. It says, uh, you your, huh? Uh, 320, uh, we'll start in 27 and run through 30. So John answered, uh, this is John the Baptist, uh, a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify and said that I am, uh, that I said, I am not the Messiah, but rather I am sent before him, the prophecy of the forerunner of Jesus Christ. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the best man rejoices when he stands and hears the bridegroom's voice. So now my joy is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. So in this wedding ceremony, there's your best man. The one in every one of these, if you think about the wedding party, if you were assembling a wedding party, (coughs) if you were the groom in a wedding, who would you call? You call on people that would testify on your behalf. You're not going to get somebody up there to stand, you know, to stand with you, and they actually have to stand with you during this ceremony and testify or uh, testify on your behalf. In other words, they're, you know, they're giving testimony of the groom that, you know, and backing up the groom in this, uh, uh, in this contract that he's about to fulfill. Okay. Let's see. To... Ahead of time. <laughs> So, so 
That gives you a, gives you a, and Jesus, like I said, he handpicked. The groom has to call his own. He can't rely on the bride. So, I mean, there we have, we've got testimony of the groom while he was here setting up his own wedding party. Now, like I talked to you before, the uh, on the baptism uh, that John was doing and Jesus' baptism in Judaism, that was referred to as a mikvah bath. Now, when Jesus comes, and this is in John chapter 3, just ahead of it. When Jesus comes to the river, you know, John's baptizing for repentance of sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, you know, God has come down to earth and get yourself right before, you know, before he shows up and you have to present yourself to it. So... <clears throat> That's the method in which he's baptizing right before Jesus appears. Now, when Jesus appears, the scenario changes. You know, because Jesus says, comes down to be baptized by John. But John says, whoa, you know, I'm baptizing for repentance of sin. You don't have any. You need to baptize me because I'm close, I'm a sinner versus, you know, and Jesus said, no, it must need be done this way. Now, there was two things taking place at that baptism. Jesus actually, in Hebrews, he de uh, Paul declares him to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, at the time of the baptism, you know, he served from 30 to 33, roughly three years. This is his 30th year that he shows up. It's where he makes his appearance. That was the same year that a priest was baptized into the priesthood. That is what's going on there with John the Baptist. It's not, it's not a remission of sin, repent for remission of sin. There's two things going on. First, the priest would be baptized into the priesthood at the age of 30. That's as soon as he could start to serve. And he served from the age of 30 to about the age of 50 and you know, then he came off of duty and then, you know, was followed up. And that was consistent. Uh, the other tradition in Judaism for the what was taking place there was at a, at a wedding betrothal, uh, which ties in back to where we're at here. At a wedding betrothal, it was tradition for the groom and the bride to both take Mikvah bath, not at the same time, but, <laughs> but at, at separate at separate times, and to guarantee or to put a seal on this covenant that they were about to enter into, and to symbolize their purity going into the covenant. The reason for the ritual bath to take place, and the, and that's exactly what that's. Another thing that Jesus is doing there at his baptism uh, is going through the wedding ritual mikvah bath. When he comes out, now that that bath is basically, there's several parts of that wedding scenario. Actually, that he is sealing that covenant in the presence of the public as all these people are there 
and he's sealing that covenant, which is actually putting his, it's guaranteeing his dowry to the bride, is what that, that symbolizes right there. So even before he ever went to the cross, he had already guaranteed when he was baptized, he guaranteed that he would pray, pay whatever price was demanded for the bride by that baptism on his part. And of course, there is a ketubah, that's what this is called. When a wedding part, when a wedding is entered into in Judaism, a ketubah is written. A ketubah is actually the contract. The wedding that lists every promise and how the groom's going to take care of the bride. Yes, pretty much. That was the early, the beginnings of a you know, kind of a nuptial agreement contract. And we have the ketubah is right here. It lists every, every promise that he made is written down right here. And he was fulfilling it at the time. Uh, <clears throat> Let's see. Right. It was his presentation as that, you know, that falls under the order of the priesthood, of that priesthood that came out of Judah rather than coming out of Levi traditionally. Now, John the Baptist was, he was a Levitical priest. Most people don't think of that. But his father, if you remember Zechariah, where did Zechariah see the angel? He was serving in the temple. He was doing his Levitical priesthood duty. So by genealogy, you know, John the Baptist himself is a Levitical priest. You know, though when the Pharisees see him baptized, they say they've never seen anybody. Baptism really doesn't even exist prior to this. In what he's doing, you know, the mikvah bath exists, but there's no, and a priest has got to oversee this mikvah bath. He's got to be there. But this thing is so so ritualistic that it's not like we have our baptism today, where a pastor will come over there, you know, and he'll put his hand on your nose and he helps you down in the water and he comes back up. This was so ritualistically pure that it, in sealing a contract, a person actually had to get out there, the priest phase where he's at. He's just there to oversee. And when they seal this contract, they go down completely and not one area, not even eyelash is to remain dry. Everything that's completely submerged itself, and that's the ceiling of this contract. A little bit, we got kind of, we've added some stuff to it, changed some stuff around over the years. Uh, you know, but that's the, that's it. Now, why did Jesus say in the, in his great commission, he tells his disciples, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The other half of the contract. He's made his 
He made his while he was on earth, same time he picked out all his groomsmen. You know, he made his, he had his mikvah And now every time a bride, a part is added to the bride, she seals her half of the same covenant. That's what that actually represents. We say buried with, buried, you know, and brought back to life because we really don't understand a whole lot about Judaism. You know, that's our version of it. It is true. That is exactly what's happening. But it's also a sealing of a Judea, uh, Judaism's marriage covenant. That's a good point. And that is, I think... Circumcision basically was held to set the Jews apart from every other, every other entity. It's never applied to the Gentiles, and even when Paul takes Timothy back, you know, Oh, now that was a trick. <laughs> that that what they actually did on that one that is, that was as I remember. And Levi was one of two of them went out and they sealed the deal to have these guys circumcised. And you know because they had taken advantage of the daughter. And then once they had had them circumcised and they could not move for pain, then they went in and killed, wiped out the entire town. Yeah, uh, it was, I think they set that up, and because of that shedding of blood, they said God kind of made Levi, said from now on, you like shedding blood? We're going to make you the priest. You'll have to do it from now on, you know. And But it was never, Paul talks about circumcision of the heart more so than circumcision of the flesh. And so it looks like that, you may have a very valid point there that the baptism is more so uh, our circumcision pretty much of the bride. You know, to set us apart. It's our fulfilling of a covenant. That was their fulfilling of a covenant. You know. Right. Still set apart, set apart, both of them. Right. That's true. That was that's what stood the uh, set the Israelites apart from every other every other nation was uh, the circumcision. Does that help? <laughs> All right. There's uh, there's one other thing that I want to sh- uh, show you over. In Genesis. Now, a lot of times we read through Genesis and we think, well, that's a historical document or something like that. But a lot of times there's a lot more symbolism there 
as you get into it, you see a lot more symbolism there. Like uh, there's the scenarios of Abraham picking the wife for Isaac. That is a super long scenario that was added in there intentionally for us to learn something. Now, what is it we're supposed to learn from this? You know, it's not just a historical document. Let me let me show you what I gleaned from this the last uh, last time I was uh, where I ran into it. Okay, it's where Abraham. It's in uh, Genesis 24. And like I said, there's a lot more in here about the, about the marriage of us to the groom, even in symbolism and in history, you can track it. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 24. All right. Now at this time, there's, you know, Abraham is still without, well, he is, there's actually three members involved in this scenario. Abraham, uh, uh, what's his? Eleazar. Now Eleazar would have been, he was, would have been the two before the son. He was, he would have been second in charge. Eleazar is the number one servant of Abraham. He's been with him the whole time. He's his most loyal, most loyal servant, and. and We've got Isaac. Now, <clears throat> so let's see what let's see what happens here, and see if you get. Now, if you look at this in a church perspective, in a uh, say a soul winning perspective, or a gathering of the bride, as you read these verses, see if this see if it sounds familiar. Uh, said now Abraham was old and advanced in years, and Adonai had blessed Abraham in everything. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who managed everything that belonged to him, Now put your hand under my thigh, so that I may, may, may uh, make you take an oath by Adonai, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am dwelling. On the contrary, to my... Uh, on the contrary, to my land and to my relatives you must go and get a wife for my son Isaac. But the servant said to him, Suppose the woman were unwilling to follow after me to this land. Should I then have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham said, See to it that you do not return my son there. Adonai, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native place, and who spoke to me and made a pledge to me, saying, To your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. Okay, so we've got an interesting scenario here. We've got, you know, uh, we've got a father and son in one location, and we've got a third party that's been sent to gather the bride for the son. Is that starting to sound familiar? The Holy Spirit has 
if you replace those with Abraham in the symbolism as God, Isaac in the symbolism as Jesus, and Eleazar in the symbolism as the Holy Spirit, you've got the same scenario as we have for the church of today and gathering the bride. Does anybody follow that or is it just me? <laughs> what you've got, Abraham, the father has charged the number three now since he's got a son. The third in charge is to go and find the bride for, for his son. Go and search out the bride. Now, the only way that bride can get to the son is by accepting the testimony of that servant about that son. You see the scenario? <laughs> if she refuses the servant, she will never find the son. <laughs> yeah, if the... If she refuses his testimony, and that releases him, if she refuses his testimony of the son, he is released from that person and not held by the father on their account. It's on their own head. There's no way that the bride can find the son unless she goes by the testimony given by the third, you know, by the third in charge. It's right out of, you know, it's what we've, <laughs> it's the scenario of the church itself again. Uh, and I've read that over as just being historical and wondering what in the world. I was, you know, I wouldn't dare want somebody to go pick out my bride for me. You know, <laughs> now there's something else. When she sees, now I got to this fired me up too. Then. When, if you follow the story, he goes and he picks her out. She agrees to the dowry, you know, and he tells of all the promises and the riches of the Son. You know, in other words, the Holy Spirit testifying to that person or pulling on that person during the church service or whatever, you know, trying to get them to, you know, make a decision. And, and so she decides, she says yes. Never have seen the sun. We've never seen the church of today has never seen. We don't know what the sun looks like. We have to strictly go on the testimony given to us by the Spirit. So, <laughs> so but another thing that I just that tickled me when I read this, or just excited me when I read this, is if you read the scenario, she agrees to go. Her father releases her, and she goes, and she sees. When she she's on her on her way to to where Abraham and Isaac are, and I, and a long ways off, she can see him. And you remember what she does in that scenario. She immediately starts to prepare herself. She dismounts and she puts her veil on and gets ready. She's in, in the wedding mode when she can see him afar off. That's the way the church needs to be today. You know, and that's, that's out of Genesis. <laughs> it's hard to... <clears throat> Whew. 
Ah, one more little scripture if we got I I'm still good, I think. Ah, one little scripture uh, that I saw over that actually ties to us and the us and the Jewish people. Everybody uh, you know, we've learned here lately for years the church has actually uh discarded the Jews they didn't know what place that they actually had anymore since they rejected Jesus you know we can't what I read there's no way that we can discard the Jews because their promise is yet to come you know they're made promises in there by Paul Paul says in Romans he said uh, that their basically their eyes have been closed or their hearts have been hardened until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, at which time the favor reverts back to the Jewish people. When we're carried out of here, then all the focus goes back. When the church is gone, the focus goes back to to the Jewish people again. The focus, God's focus is strictly on them, especially that last seven years is strictly on them. And it's really exciting to watch. I don't know if any of y'all watching what's going on in Israel. Most people, that's probably just us nerds that watch that. But, <laughs> but they just, they started out years, several years ago sacrificing. Uh, and they're getting closer to the temple. And this last year at Passover, they sacrificed at the foot of the temple. Right at the foot of the mountain where the temple stood. That's the closest they've ever been able to come. All the, all the things are lining, all the parts are lining up. Uh, you know, I don't expect us to be here a real long time. Seeing by watching what, I watched all the prophecies, read all the prophecies in the Bible, and it kind of, all the ones for the church are fulfilled. So I swapped over and said, watch. And if you watch, if you watch Jerusalem or watch Israel, that's the gauge for everything else that's going on in this book. Uh, <coughs> uh, anyway, so that is that really got me excited. They're moving closer and closer to him. What they're what they're the Jewish people out to do is reestablish the covenant they broke with God. You know, most people don't realize it when they read the scriptures that when Jesus is there, the Israelites of the Northern Territory were exiled. 700 years before Jesus came. So they're not there when Jesus is there. When he goes to Samaria, which is in the northern country, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. She's not a relative of, you know, not, you can't trace her genealogies back to the same, same location. She was put into that country by some people that conquered them, the Assyrians that conquered them, and transplanted them and took the Israelites out. So, you know, that's, that's the, a lot of times when we read the Old Testament prophets, we don't understand some of the prophets speak to Judah and the southern territory. Some of the prophets are speaking to Israel in the northern territory. You know, and Israel in the northern territory got exiled out. But... Uh, in the end, God's favor is going to return back on them. And it's 
we can find that story in the story of uh, Jacob. Not Isaac, but Jacob, the next generation. You remember if you've read the story, and this, by the way, is the only place in the whole Bible that tells you how long a wedding feast lasts is in the story of Jacob and his wives. It's the only place that tells you how long, and guess how long it lasts? A full seven, one full wedding week. What does it say in the seven is the, you know, any of y'all that believe in a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture, I'm sorry, but that ain't what I get out of here. I get <laughs> I get a full seven years. We're out of here, and we're at the wedding feast, you know, when all this tribulation takes place. But if you follow the, <laughs> if you follow the, the scenario, Jake, uh, Jacob actually... He's focused on Rebecca, you know. He's focused everything. When he comes comes to the foreign land, he's focused. Every, all his focus, and he falls in love immediately with Rebecca. But what happens when he goes to get wedded? Get, when he goes to wed, you remember what happens? He gets Leah. Jesus' focus was all about the Jews. God's emphasis all through history is about the Jews. But first, Leah had to go. Leah had to be, she was married first. And then, and the scripture says, and he goes back to the father because this was different than the plan that, you know, that was anticipated. This is different. So when he goes back to the father, father of the bride, and he asked, he said, what's the deal? You know, I worked for her. That's the one I was after, and I wake up with her. <laughs> the father tells him something that's a key, another key scripture. He tells him, he says, first, you finish Leah's wedding week. Then I will give you Rebecca. You have to complete the contract with Leah. And then it doesn't say anything about Rebecca getting a wedding week, but she's added as part of the bride after the wedding week is finished. So that's just, uh, I know after all these eloquent speakers that y'all have had all week, that's, uh, that probably ain't a whole lot, but I figured that, that some information that maybe might come in useful when you're looking to, you know, how the, how the church is operating it's been foretold for thousands of years <laughs> and how the bride is to be gathered up you know the scenarios are already there